Jacqueline has been on my list of women I'd love to interview since we launched this podcast in 2018. And so I was completely thrilled when our diaries finally allowed this magical moment to happen. It was with such admiration that I spoke to Jacqueline, founder of Anne Summers, and had the privilege of hearing her unique story firsthand. Jacqueline's journey is one of absolute female empowerment, of challenging the stereotypes and using her creativity and vision to revolutionise an industry, not just any industry, but the sexual industry that was completely dominated by men. Jacqueline also spoke to me so openly and shared the personal trauma, illness and challenges she's faced while leading her business as CEO. A truly remarkable powerhouse of a woman with huge strength, whilst never losing her ability to think of others. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hello Jacqueline, it's so wonderful to meet you. It's been an utter dream of mine for a long while now to chat business with you and capture your incredible story for this podcast. It's a shame it's not face to face, but this is the next best thing. We're just over 80 days into lockdown and I'm recording this from my desk and I was just wondering how you're keeping at the moment. Well, it's I mean, it's been so surreal, Holly. And by the way, it's a delight to do your podcast as well. So it, the feeling is mutual. Thank you. Um, the first couple of weeks, um, I think I was in shock, to be honest. It was, you know, I I pride myself in somebody who deals with, um, you know, crisis very well. But, you know, nothing really prepares you for something like this. I mean, it's in, in one sense, closing your stores is, is just horrendous. And I've just been blessed to see that, you know, our web has been performing really, really well. Um, and our party plan channel, which has really evolved more into social selling. I mean, we started pre-lockdown with 4,000 uh, ambassadors, and we are now growing at 1,000 a week. We have 18,000 women who are joining just because they want to supplement the family income. You know, our, our products are selling really well, and, and our, our new ambassadors are, are making money and having fun at the same time. My goodness, that sounds like a dream job, actually, doesn't it? It's amazing to hear that growth. Um, Jacqueline, I always start this podcast with a bit about uh, your backstory and what it was like growing up. Did you have a happy childhood? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have a happy childhood. Um, my parents uh, separated when I was 12. Um, I, you know, had great challenges with my mother's new boyfriend, uh, eventually husband. Um, I was abused between the age of 12 and 15. And 
I think I always had this um, sort of determination that, you know, that financial independence would be my way out. And actually, the, 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 the problem that I had was not just what I was suffering with him, but also my mother, on the other hand, um, you know, she was paranoid about life. In, in one sense, she, because I, I have a younger sister as well, in one sense, she sort of wanted to keep us uh, safe at home. And I use inverted commas for that. Um, but on, on the other hand, and she's passed away now, you know, my sister and I suspect that she also knew what was going on. So it was a very complicated, um, tragic uh, childhood. But, you know, I'm I'm not somebody that likes to be a victim. I, I, I see what I went through as, uh, you know, something that shaped me for the person that I am now. Um, and I think that, you know, there may be many listeners out there that have gone through equally tragic experiences that, um, you know, have made something of their lives. And, and, you know, that can also be, you know, it's that adversity piece, really, that can and help you, you know, prove that you can turn your life around and, uh, and, in, and perhaps inspire other people in, in the making. So I, I hope that's what I've been able to do. Gosh, what a story. And opening up on really the truth of where you began, because you've turned, and we're going to talk about your story, but you've become such an icon um, for us women. Um, and to hear that that's how you began really is, um, as you said, it could maybe relate to a lot of listeners out there. It must have felt like a, well, it must have been incredibly traumatic to start with. And I'm so sorry for that, um, that you went through that. And did you leave home? Was that where you... Did you sort of escape? Was that the only way that you could almost get out of this situation you found yourself in? Yeah, I did try and escape a couple of times. Um, um, no, I I went to work at Roald Dalton, actually, and uh, I worked for a very nice lady called um, Coral Boyce, her name was, and she taught me a lot about retail, and it was a, a great learning curve for me. I was also had a, a creative background because I – you know, I loved art and I had, uh, you know, um, visions of doing interior design and, and that type of thing. But uh, so I, I temporarily went and worked at Ann Summers for work experience. And it certainly wasn't somewhere where I wanted to stay working because it had a real male dominated uh, environment. The um, customers in store, I think they had about uh, four sex shops at that time. Um, I mean, only 10% of women would go into the store. But I was invited mm-hmm. to a, uh, a Pippa D party. I don't know if anybody listening will remember Pippa D, but it's sort of a, a Tupperware style party. But Pippa D was like a closed party. And I, I, I remember going to this party in my sort of mustard colored mini, driving there and, and sort of climbing all these stairs to get to this sort of, it was in a high rise. And um, there, was all these women squidged together on tiny sofas. And there I was trying to, at one point, trying to draw a picture of my husband's meat and two veg on top of my head was one of the party games. And I was thinking, this is, this is not quite how I imagined my career starting. <laughs> um, but it, it, it was where I got the idea of doing Anne Summers parties because the women at this party knew that I was 
working at Ann Summers and saying, look, why don't you do Ann Summers parties? We want to be able to buy sexy underwear. We want to be able to spice up our sex lives, but, you know, we're too too embarrassed to go into a sex shop. And I thought, wow, what, this is an amazing idea. So um, I tried a few parties myself, um, and I think it was the sort of first time women suddenly felt empowered because I had no men at the party. And there was also this sort of feeling of, hey, you know, I can sort of take a bit of control here in, in my sex life. So I then took this idea to my all-male board, which, uh, and I was only 21 years old at the time. And, you know, I'd had no previous business training. And uh, I sort of walked into this room of grey-suited men, middle-aged men, I should say, and uh, I just talked through my idea, and obviously I was very passionate about it. And I remember at one point, uh, one member of the board standing up, throwing his pen down on the table and saying, well, this isn't going to work, is it? Women aren't even interested in sex. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, that obviously says a lot more about his sex life than it does about my idea. Um, and uh, respectfully, um, I, I carried on and... Uh, you know, I think it was just so alien to them because they'd been so used to this being a, a male-dominated world. Um, and here I was coming along with something completely uh, radical. And, you know, I was very fortunate that they agreed to, I think they they agreed to invest £40,000, which was a lot then, but not enough. Um, and I, I sort of started... Um, using that money to advertise in the London Evening Standard. Uh, and then I'd, I'd sort of get all my responses in once a week and then I'd drive up to the Strand Palace Hotel, actually, uh, in London and talk about my idea to the, the group of people that would turn up. Um, and it's, it's been a, a, a fascinating story. Um, I'm rambling on here, Holly. I don't know. Um, just no. to keep going. <laughs> I just, you know what, I just could listen to your story. It's just been amazing researching you and I just absolutely love it. And I would say to all the listeners out there, the reason normally you would hear me barely laughing and I am, but I'm doing it silently because we had a few technical issues. And so I'm not going to interrupt Jacqueline. Um, but it does mean that you might be thinking that I'm not smiling away like a Cheshire cat. I am. She can see me doing it, but I'm just not interrupting her. So I just want to let everyone know in case you're thinking, gosh, Holly's been very quiet on this one. Uh, but Jacqueline, going back to your story from research you, it, it slightly reminded me of my sort of beginnings of Not on the High Street because, you know, I was this young 20-year-old, um, blonde hair, trying to sell the idea of Not on the High Street, craft and gifting, which was obviously a very female thing to do. And we would go to London to the VCs and they were grey-haired men, funny enough, and, you know, in suits and um, and basically used to delight in telling me that they didn't do the shopping in the household um, and never have bought and has never bought a gift. And I thought, God, those poor wives or whoever it was and sort of laughing that, you know, there is no money in what they would call craft. Um, and I think it's really for any female listening to this podcast, you know, just there, you know, those two examples are um, a amazing examples of when women know they're onto something, you know, we're fantastic consumers, aren't we? Um, and so, you know, you instantly knew this was 
Yeah, as you said, this gentleman's sex life obviously became very obvious to the board table there and then. Um, but, you know, you knew you were onto something. Um, and tell me, so how did the actual parties get off the ground? So once you had that sign off, were you actually there to do that job or were you um, sort of moonlighting and having creative ideas outside of your remit? Well, no, I mean, I pretty much stopped what I'd previously been doing, payroll and stuff like that. And focused on this because I I started advertising, as I said. I'd go up to the hotel once a week. You know, there was, you know, probably about 25 people in the room. Some would get up and leave as I showed my box of tricks. Some would, some I'd have to ask to leave. Um, so it's a real mixed bag, but it was just amazing. I mean, I remember one couple in particular, two women actually from Chelsea, who um, just, you know, were bored housewives and they wanted to earn a bit of money and they thought this was great fun. And I would just go to their houses. I would train them up. I'd give them their starter kit and off they'd went. And um, it was sort of self-propagating. You know, everybody was talking about it and introducing their friends. You know, within less than a year, I had recruited 500 saleswomen, which was quite, quite phenomenal growth. And I had to stop advertising because of all the teething problems I was also having to deal with. But yeah, and, and then we were growing at sort of 20% a year. And I, I you know, I remember my first year's turnover, I think was 83,000 um, pounds. Mm. And, and of course, um, excluding the current environment, at our peak, we, we were um, turning over 150 million. So it's been quite, a, a, quite an incredible and very colorful journey, should I say. I, I, I can only imagine your journey has been incredibly colourful. Um, tell me, so am I right in saying this, that your father was part of the business as well? And he, he used to own, um, you know, the early and summer shops with this small chain of shops. It basically was a very different sort of vibe, though. Can you just take us back to, I, I, you know, take us back to what that vibe of the first and summer shops were? Well, yes, he he did uh, have the, the the first few shops, and the vibe was a sort of raincoat brigade type of vibe. <laughs> you became CEO of Anne Summers in 1993, where you opened the first female-friendly Anne Summers shop on the High Street in London. This must have been. Uh, absolutely unbelievable point. Um, and I'd love you to tell me because you've gone from 10%, you know, women and to the raincoat brigade, as you said, to now this friendly, fe- a female friendly store on the high street of London. Um, you know, I'm so proud of our stores today. They, they really have become a female institution. So where we had 10% um, of customers being women in those early days, you know, it's now 80%. And actually, we're trying to do what we can to make the guys feel comfortable in coming into the stores. So it's been a, a real, um, a real turnaround. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, I was going to every store opening, but am I okay to talk about our Dublin store? Because yes, I think that, that's, that's the one that is the most memorable for me, because um, I had a call from the Dublin Corporation, which is like our council, um, absolutely saying, we don't want you to open, you know, this is not right for Ireland. And, um, it, you know, there was so much pressure. In the end, I invited them over to to come and have a tour of our stores and see what we were trying to achieve and how many people we were recruiting and the, the sort of 
career journey that they were going on. Um, but they were really had been sent over on a mission. And I remember that sort of first meeting in the boardroom. And yeah, I remember at the end of the meeting, one of them saying to me, look, you know, we cannot be held responsible for what might happen to you if you go ahead with this opening. I just thought, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is outrageous. It almost felt like bullying. But I'm sure listeners would forgive me, you know, for feeling nervous when I received a bullet through the post uh, a week before the opening. And that was quite chilling. And I, there was a lot of negative publicity at the time in, in Dublin. And um, I just uh, decided I was going to go ahead and go to the opening anyway. Um, and then I got this call from The Late Late Show, which has got sort of like a cult following out there. And I've never done any TV before, but I just thought this was perhaps an opportunity for me to tell our side of the story. So I went on the show quite naively in a way. It was um, a live audience. And then I just sort of told my story and said, look, you know, we've been doing parties in Ireland. They've been hugely successful. We have the sales per head are higher than they are in the UK. We believe that our customers want a store here in Dublin, and we think it will be a great success. And it was just fantastic because a woman at the back of the audience stood up and she's saying, how dare you tell us where we can and can't shop? Um, and it was just incredible. So despite having being served a writ, actually, on the first day of opening, uh, we had 10,000 people through the door. They're all signing our petition. Um, and I, ironically, it went on to be, it, it's in our top uh three performing stores in the UK, although we've relocated it now. Um, it's one of our, our highest performing stores. So it really turned around into a, a great success story. That moment must have been, did you feel empowered as if you were the voice of so many women who were silenced? Um, I, I mean, this is something that I have felt so passionately about throughout my career. Um, you know, the whole reason I started this was because of those women at first party saying we want to be able to buy sexy lingerie and I just wanted to empower women in the bedroom that's all I ever wanted to do and you know for years that's something that I have passionately campaigned not just women in the bedroom but also women in the boardroom um you know we we all know don't we from you know the, the celebration of 100 years of the suffragettes of of you know what's been going on in the past 18 months and how suddenly, you know, the, the world, you know, certainly the UK <clears throat> are listening. Um, but it's not job done. You know, there are still inequalities that frustrate everybody. And, you know, we just need to keep doing that. And I think that Anne Summers has done a, a, a great job in empowering women in the bedroom and driving that cultural change. Um, but there are still things to do in other you know, walks of our life. I look at my 11-year-old daughter and I, I want her to grow up feeling that she can be whatever she wants to be. In fact, I remember just digressing a little when she was five years old. I used to, I don't really do it so much now, but I used to do a lot of public speaking. And I remember taking her to one of my events, which as usual were essentially a male audience. Um, and uh, I just wanted her to see mummy on stage and think, you know, this is normal. This is not just something men do. Um, and that's, you know, that was quite an important moment for me. 
I can really imagine. And I mean, when you started this and you started the the sort of the the the, the shift from raincoat era to basically an empowering female era, you you must have felt quite alone on some of that journey. Uh, certainly before you were putting in your own teams, et cetera, et cetera. Tell tell me about that because it, it just must have you must have experienced sexism. You must have experienced really um gosh, actually you know, some of the women listening to this podcast right now, if we think what we've gone through, I now think about what you must have gone through, not only being a female CEO, but actually the genre of your product, the industry that you were in. Um, it must have been tough at the beginning. It was incredibly tough. And part of that, I think, was a, a, a sort of a generation thing. I think, you know, when I look at um, men of our generation, you know, the younger generation today, you know, they have a, a, a totally different attitude to some of the challenges that I faced. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I mean, there are so many, so many stories, you know, from I remember trying to hold a conference in, I think it was somewhere like Coventry, Wolverhampton, somewhere around there. Um, and when they found out who we were, they wouldn't take our business. And, you know, I remember being picked up by a, a taxi driver taken to our head office and him saying, well, you're not going in there, are you? you? And I said, well, yes, I am. Why? Well, you know what goes on in there. I'm like, no, tell me, you know, and it's like, you know, we're running a business. Although I, I, I do think we do probably have much more fun uh, than many businesses in our, our board meetings, et cetera. But uh, certainly in the early days uh, there was, you know, a lot of sexism. I mean, and, and frankly, Holly, that even today, I mean, I, I remember being a couple of years ago, I was the keynote speaker at a, um, a retail week conference. And some chap who was on after me sort of came over and said, look, I, you know, I've been waiting, you know, an hour and my slides are still not ready. I said, excuse me, I'm speaking. Oh, oh, OK. And off he goes like. There is, you know, and then the person on after me was um, was Richard Desmond, who some will know as the uh, owner of OK Magazine. And um, I was waiting in the wings due to come on and his PA or, or whoever it was, it was a, a male assistant, came over to me and said, Richard still hasn't got his table and he's doing a panel. I'm thinking I'm waiting in the wings here to go on and speak. And, of course, there was a swearing moment, forgive me. FFS, just, I'm trying to get in the zone and I've got all this rubbish going on just because of this um, unbelievable stereotyping, which I'm sure there are listening listeners just as frustrated. It can feel my frustration because, you know, we have to deal with this regularly and, um, you know, it's just not good enough. It's not acceptable anymore. Really, when this all began, I'm thinking about this sort of movement. It was a moment in 1998 where one of your products, the Rampant Rabbit, was featured on Sex in the City, like the best thing ever on TV at the time. And you must have just seen this huge uplift in sales because I, like most women of our generation, remember watching Sex in the City and feeling so empowered that there were women talking and enjoying sex on TV. And it really was this watershed moment for women. And I, I was going to say, you know, how things have moved on, but actually you're so right. You know, you just talk about something that happened two years ago. There is still 
such work to be done. What do you think about the future when you look, you think about your 11 year old daughter? What do you think are the things that you're seeing now that makes you feel that maybe we are on the right path? I, I, I think there's no better time to be a woman, to be honest. Um, I do still think there is more to be done. Um, what I really want to see is I want to see women themselves um, raise their head above the parapet and actually boldly celebrate their own success because we need those you know, great mo- role models like yourself, Holly, out there that are inspiring the next generation. Um, we also need to see women in their own businesses supporting each other. Um, you know, I, I often say to women, you know, it's, it's not about being the loudest person in the room, which many women can't compete with, but you have to contribute. Um, and I think when we're in those meetings, we need to be supportive of each, of each other to encourage that. Um, for me, it's about recruiting the best and promoting the best person for the job you know, rather than we must have X number of women on the board. I mean, I, I'm, I have 70% of my board members are women, but we are just not always recognising that amazing talent. And we really, as, as business leaders, need to remove the barriers that stop women from being able to return to work, say, after childcare or to overcome some, some of those issues. And actually, I think one of the positive things about COVID, if if we can find some positive things, is I think it will make us think differently and help shift that forward. And I think it's making businesses realise that we can do things in a different way. I completely agree. And I think this might be, I mean, I don't want to say anything too dramatic, but I do think that this could be one of the biggest turning points for women um, in work generally, because never, well, it's someone said to me recently, because it's come down to money, and actually earning money and people wanting to have their businesses continue, that the, the grey-haired men at the top, you know, have suddenly given in to this. You know, people do work from home and they do do a fantastic job. And actually, look what's happened. It's paid off. But I do think potentially now that message has come out loud and clear. And will it be that moment that we'll start to see uh, the playing fields levelling up? I don't know. Well, uh, one of the things I'd like to mention is that I do a board meeting on Teams every morning and, you know, I'm watching and, you know, somebody's child comes in, little toddler came in to our um, our merchandising director who's a man and, you know, you know, he, I saw him tentatively tend to the child and the child went off again. You know, we're all managing it and there's no raised eyebrows. Like you, I really hope this is a turning point. Um, tell me before, I want to talk to you about the high street, but tell me before we move on, I want to pick up when you said women should stand up, be recognised for what they have done. Now, do would you agree with me? And when I sp- speak to the small business community, and a lot of them are women, there's just this tendency that you do not want to come across as uh, you know, showing off. And do you think that there's that just that natural tendency between women and men and that difference that hasn't actually done us any favours? Because I do feel that sometimes women can be quite harsh on each other. Um, and But if we are to stand up and we are to start to become, you know, an example to others, do we need to just take that deep breath and just sort of do it for everybody else? Or do you think it's something that you understand why we feel that we don't want to really 
be boastful or be out there talking about our achievements? So I think it's a lot to do with social conditioning. I think we've historically had a tendency to bring our boys up to be brave and our girls up to be perfect. And of course, there is no such thing as perfect. Um, So I do think there is this uh, tendency for women to play down their achievements. And one of the things that I think, you know, can be very helpful, and and I remember doing it for myself and I advise other women to do it, is is just simply write an email to yourself of all the things that you've ever achieved. And then when you're going into a board meeting or if you're going to do some networking or you're going to do something that, um, you know, is out of your comfort zone and and you you have a wobble, if you can read back all Mm. of the things that you've achieved, it's amazing how powerful that is. And I, I think it's about a lot of it is about confidence you know, or, or, you know, that whole imposter syndrome that a lot of women get. But I think that if we realise that, you know, actually we're doing this for other women, other women need to hear what we're doing because, you know, if we tell our stories and how we started at a very young age and the challenges that we faced, that's just amazing for, for women. You know, they can think, well, gosh, I can do that. Um, for my daughter and for other women out there, I think the more of us that can really uh, find the courage to do that. And it's sort of incredible me saying that we need to find courage to talk about our success, but it, it's um, it's incredibly important. It's so I'm going to take your words of advice because I I think, you know, the thing is also, isn't it, Jacqueline, it's about being vulnerable and us telling the truth to other women. Um, that is so important to me. I, for one, find it incredibly uncomfortable to talk about success. Um, I don't want to make other people feel like they haven't succeeded. Um, And I never want to come across as that person. But at the same time, I think, you know, you you speak such sense. Unless we start to feel that confidence and actually do it for other people, do it for other women, um, then maybe we can get over that sense of uncomfortableness. Yeah, and I I actually think the word vulnerable is really key, actually, what you just said. And, um, you know, the the truth is nobody has got where they are without facing challenges. I mean, showing your vulnerabilities and talking openly about some of the difficulties you face is it's part of your story. Oh, gosh, I I am so enjoying this. I wish people could see me nodding. Um, I want to talk to you about the high street, if I may, because I know in your early years, you faced huge challenges as we've spoken about opening these stores. Um, and uh, at, at your peak, am I right in saying you had about 140 stores? Um, we're going through such an Uh, well, a very odd period of life anyway, aren't we? And um, we're talking today on the day that actually all the shops were reopening up. Um, We're going into a recession, what, worse than 300 years. Tell me about what you're thinking about, about that physical store versus online. And and have you had thoughts during this time, Jacqueline, about what you think the future of the high street could look like? Yes, um... You know, I think what's what this pandemic has done is it's brought forward, you know, what's probably going to is inevitable anyway. And and, you know, certainly I've uh, realized that there's a lot more older people that wouldn't have shopped online that have forced, you know, have been forced to learn how to do that. So there's a lot of people, a lot of my relatives, for example, I know are doing things that they 
wouldn't have done previously. Um, <clears throat> we've opened up four stores today just because we want to be sure that we've got it right and we want to be sure that our customers are completely safe. Um, and then we'll roll out the, the, the rest of our portfolio in, in the next couple of weeks. The economists are expecting it to be a 15% drop in retail, but then there'll be a, a, an increase in, in the web. Um, I think what's interesting for us, um, and I think it's, you know, there is an opportunity in these difficult times, and that's finding different ways to do things, is understanding what people really want. And, you know, that's, you know, I was talking to you earlier about the social selling, is that, you know, there's many women that are now starting up their own small businesses working, you know, because social selling is almost like having a franchise where you can actually work it around your own lifestyle and your own time frame and you can you can earn as much as you much as you like. You know, we've got people that are, are just sort of intending to earn money for this short period of time. But I I've I had women last month that earned thirty thousand pounds like something that they have, you know, never earned before. I mean that's incredible income. Uh, in one month um, uh, through through doing social selling for Anne Summers. So, you know, when people are earning that sort of money, they're not going to want to leave. So it's fantastic for me to see these these women, you know, and it's boosting their confidence and they've never earned money like this before. And suddenly they're, some of them are becoming the breadwinners in the family. Uh, you know, so it's gone on beyond supplementing that family income. So for me, that's a great joy to see that. And at the same time, you know, it's another it's another route to market. It's another way for us to market our business. So, you know, there's there's great opportunities out there, I'm sure. So actually, in a way, when you think about the high street and we're sort of, you know, I think it, it's too early to say as well, isn't it? And, I, I, you know, so many entrepreneurs I've spoken to are so incredibly positive about the future um, because of basically what you're saying. It's the pivoting. It's the changing. It's saying, OK, well, that might not be going so well. But guess what? We've got a 400 percent increase in um, in our social shopping. You know, it's it's these amazing things that are coming um, through that potentially the high street almost needs to. Uh, work out what it's going to be in the future. But at the same time, we've got to concentrate sometimes on the channels that are working. I think it's about being agile in this environment. You know, you when I say it's looking at what people want, you know, there's two things that we have done recently that I think demonstrates this. One is that, you know, we've all noticed how the planet has changed and how, how healthier the planet is with that, without us all being out there uh, destroying it as we tended to do in the past. So we launched um, Knickerbox Planet, which is a, a brand that we used to have that we've revitalized, which is uh, all sustainable, packaging is sustainable. So that I, for me is, a, is a, an agile way of responding to this, this environment. We've also brought out a new brand really called MyViv, which by the way, it stands for My Very Important Vagina. I hope you don't mind me saying that on your podcast. I did actually say it on Lorraine, and I got her to say the word vagina twice, so I'm pretty proud, proud of that. But it's important because, you know, uh, you know, people have, have gone through uh, challenges. You know, I, for example, have, have had breast cancer. Nobody told me that that was going to affect my sex life. And yet if you're a guy and you have prostate cancer, the first thing the doctor says is, right, this is going to affect your sex life and this is how and I think with women you know we're we're embarrassed to 
to say these things because we feel it's trivial. Our sex life, you know, that's trivial. Whether it be going through the menopause or just having a baby or having trauma in years before or any any of these struggles that we may have. So we, we worked with Breast Cancer Now and we brought out a range that is very much focused on that. It's also sustainable, you know, and we don't, it's not just sex toys. You know, there's pelvic floor trainers in there. There's dilators in there. There's, you know, and, and it's all based on research. Um, and we've built a community online where people can engage and, and, and talk with themselves. And these are the things that matter to, to women. I think it's all about sexual empowerment. It's about female empowerment and it's about sustainability and making our world a better place. I think if we can tap into those areas as businesses and see what we can do, you know, that's what our customers are really going to engage with. Um, And I think the people that I admire most are those brands that are doing that. Our mission at Holly & Co is to support creative small businesses through sharing useful, tangible, soulful content all year round. Whether you have your own business already or you're thinking of taking that leap of faith and pursuing your lifelong business dream, I'm here to support you. I know what you're thinking. How can I keep up to date with all this inspiration, Holly? Well, it's simple. Just head over to Instagram and follow at Holly Tucker and at holly.co so you don't miss a thing. By following these accounts, you'll be the first in line to receive all of my exciting podcast updates, hear my personal thoughts as I share the lessons I've learned the hard way and absorb this colourful, amazing, creative community that I shine a light on every single day. And let's not forget, you'll be notified each time I'm hosting an IGTV live, often with special guests, industry experts or hosting a Q&A with the small business community answering those business questions you just can't Google. So what are you waiting for? Get following. I can't wait for you to join me. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I just wanted to say that, you know, what's unbelievable about talking to you is what you have been through as a woman and you um, not only as a CEO, but a woman who was changing your industry. Um, you mentioned that you had breast cancer. I think you my right in saying you had it twice. Yes. Um, and you also um, lost um, a child um, so sadly. Um, and you went through IVF and all of this through a time where you were running what was obviously so incredibly important to you. Tell me how you got through these moments because so many listeners will be listening who have suffered great losses or illness how have you though Jacqueline got through these points in your life oh Holly I I sometimes wonder myself you know it, it it certainly hasn't been easy and obviously anybody that's lost a child will know that it's just the the worst thing that can ever ever happen to anybody I mean it just words do not describe uh, um, and you're quite right. Sadly, I lost my son um, at eight months old and, and a, a day doesn't go by when I don't think about him. And, you know, I think if you have another child, as obviously, you know, Alfie had uh, Scarlett, um, his, his twin sister. Um, you know, I think 
certainly our children help us cope with things better than perhaps we would if we didn't have them. Um, because I think you find strength to help, you know, your children uh, cope with those um, tragedies that that sort of happen in life. Um, and, you know, the, the, the breast cancer, I, I think, you know, there's no right or wrong way. I think everybody deals with these things differently. You know, with, with the breast cancer, the, the, both times around, actually, I didn't, I tended not to share it with people because uh, I'd got my head in quite a positive place and I didn't want other people's reaction to um, impact uh, the, the sort of way I was dealing with it. Um, I was also worried about my my staff. I didn't want to create uncertainty in 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 sort of in the workplace. Um, I, I you know that was that was important to me. I wanted again Scarlett to sort of see Mummy in a positive way. Um, it I have to be honest was much more difficult the second time round. Um, you know you sort of find all that energy the first time but I you know I do think of myself as a bit of a warrior and I want Scarlett to see that so I think that's good for her to see um and I I think going back to Alfie you know it's what's difficult with Alfie you know we're obviously talking um 11 years ago now but um it's still painful and I I've dealt with it by keeping his memories alive and I think that you know when it comes to birthdays and Christmas for example it's it's quite bittersweet because we'll be visiting the graveside one moment and then in the afternoon we're doing Scarlett's birthday party um but I've always been really really honest with Scarlett and open and we've built lots of memories and we have video footage of the of the two of them together we've built this lovely pirate's box with all his sort of memories in there and there are even times now when Scarlett is sad usually around bedtime or we'll sit down and do a prayer um so I I think that sometimes if you embrace it you know it's it's part of who we are it's part of what we've been through it's part of our life story um and it's part of that vulnerability that we were talking about earlier um nothing's going to change that and um you know, as much as I'd want to turn the clock back and, and have a different outcome, um, you know, we 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 have to work our way through these things. And um, I feel that what the way I've dealt with it is the right way for me. And um, and hopefully, some of my words might help others. You just really are one of the most resilient women I've ever met, and I, I think that there's something to be said isn't there when you you know the your resilience and your ability to go through this you know you were thinking about others almost first again there you know you were thinking about what the staff would think and you didn't want to upset anything there and you didn't want to upset Scarlett and you know and you took that on you are a warrior I mean you are uh, absolutely the definition of of that and I just think you know, there's such strength within you. Do you think that this strength that you have got and you've had to show um, is one of those tools that has seen you through what you're saying is 38 years doing this job? You know, because I, I sometimes reflect on one of the things I do feel is a um, an absolute necessity when building business or building your dreams is to have 
strength, you know, loyalty, strength, passion. Um, and, and would you say that that's, it feels like it's been one of your key, um, you know, tools in your toolbox um, through this journey you've gone on? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Resilience, you know, is very important. And that doesn't mean I'm not a sensitive person or, but, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of, of what I've achieved over the years. Um, I, I would just add one other quality, I think, that has played a big part in my journey, and that is courage. Um, I think, you know, I have been arrested twice as well. I've taken the government to court when they wouldn't allow us to advertise in job centres. And it does take courage to do those things and, and deal with those things. But I think if you follow your passion, and that's all that's really what I've always done. I carried on because I thought, no, I know what I'm doing is right. It's about believing in our own integrity in a way and, and having faith in our own integrity um, and, uh, and having that courage um, to, to you know, pursue what we believe in. So your beautiful daughter, Scarlett, she's now 11 and she must look up to you, as you said. I mean, gosh, what what a mum you are! Um, and you, you know, you've been named, I think, the sixteenth sixteenth wealthiest woman in Britain. You've been awarded a CBE for entrepreneurship and social enterprise. For those who can't see you, you look unbelievable. I cannot cope that you're going to be sixty. You look absolutely unbelievable. You just are this. Well, uh, you were a hero of mine anyway, and now you're even higher on, on, the, on the pedestal. I want to just ask, what? it doesn't feel like you're slowing down anytime soon. It feels like your, your passion for you, what you do is still there. Tell me about anything else that you feel like you want to achieve. I mean, you know, I absolutely love what I do. Um, and you know, it's part of who I am. So to retire or, or give it up, just I, I just don't think I could bring myself to do that. And I think in this environment, who, you know, who could be slowing down? I mean, we everybody is working their socks off, aren't they, just to keep our businesses alive and, and do what we can to support our customers and our, our colleagues. So, you know, there, there won't be any... Um, any quieting down soon but you know in terms of what I want to do in the future I mean female empowerment is something I feel really passionate about so I will definitely you know continue with that um, I think there are great opportunities for us uh, internationally which is something that I would like to pursue and also um, doing more to make Anne Summers a sustainable and, and the whole well-being part of our brand I think it's about um, doing more and communicating that and um, doing what we can and playing our small part in making the world a better place. I just, well, I knew that that was going to be your answer because I knew that there was, you didn't look like a lady who believed in retirement, just like me. I've pledged to work till I'm 90, Jacqueline. So I'm going to be 90. I'm going to have lots of eccentric glasses and jewellery. That's what my gift to myself <laughs> would be. Um, but I end all these interviews uh, with the analogy that running your business is often like feeling like you're on an epic roller coaster. And I just wanted to ask you, what would you say in your career has been one of your biggest lows? Undoubtedly, this pandemic, it was closing my stores. It was heartbreaking. And conversely, the greatest high? Oh, uh, 
Um, absolutely receiving my CBE um, from the Queen was just amazing. You know, I mean, just to think of all the things and the challenges I've gone through to then be recognised for th- something that means so much to you. You know, um, as you mentioned, female empowerment, women in business, social enterprise. It just is incredibly special and uh, something I am just so proud, so proud to have. And can I ask, um, if you had to um, say any word that springs to mind um, that you feel has been a friend of yours during this journey, I have a feeling I know what it might be, but um, what word would spring to mind that you feel has been right by your side? Courage. Yeah, because it's just, it feels like you are... Um, one of the bravest women I've ever interviewed ever um, and to have gone through all that you have gone through to have done so much for us women I mean I don't think we quite realize you know if we've been brought up in the sex and city sort of landscape and all this sort of thing and you know I go past your west uh, in Westfield your Anne Summers shop and um, amazing staff outside and it's just all so normal everything is so normal and you're the woman that did that for us and I just can't quite believe that you're you know you're going to keep going and building even more and that you care about the planet and you care about people and that you're just generally a really really nice woman and it's just been such a pleasure to interview you oh thank you so much holly and likewise but thank you so much for your lovely words thank you And so it's this time of the podcast where I hand over to you um, to read a letter to your younger self. Um, I don't know what it's going to say, um, but I wanted to thank you in advance, Jacqueline, for sharing a piece of your soul with us today. Thank you. Um, So I'm doing this as if I am 12 years old. I want you to know everything is going to be okay and your life will turn around like nothing you could ever imagine. I understand that right now you are living in fear. You are lonely and you have no one to turn to. But believe me, you have so much resilience, courage and fight in you that you will grow up to achieve great things. Remember the many times you were left in danger and the dread of not knowing what might happen next. There seems no end to your trauma and despair. Even after running away from home, you were brought straight back again. And then there was the comment that you were so plain and unattractive, or when you were told you were so clumsy, you would knock over a pint of beer in the middle of a football pitch. Not to mention the slap around the face when it wasn't your fault. Continually making you feel so worthless. You went through your childhood always believing you were just not good enough. But how wrong you were, and so were they. You are sensitive and kind. You are creative and hardworking. And above all, you are stronger than anyone I know. A true warrior who will go on to inspire so many women who doubt themselves. At just 13, you would design crosswords for 50 pence a time, the start of your entrepreneurial journey. Just a decade later, you will begin to change the culture of this country 
liberating women between the sheets, ultimately empowering women in the bedroom as well as the boardroom. You will face many challenges along the way, but every challenge will drive you further to achieving what you believe in. There will be the doubters, but you will prove them wrong. There will be the intimidators, but you will fight back. And there will be those that totally underestimate you and your determination to win through, and you will. You will always do things differently, but it's good to be different. You will always push back, but it's good to challenge. You will always speak up, and it's good to put your stake firmly in the ground. There will be those that don't accept you, but there will be many more who love you for what you do. You are a disruptor and a trailblazer, and I love you for that. But now it is time to love yourself. Believe in yourself. Step outside your comfort zone and follow your purpose. And I will be there waiting for you. Oh, dearie me. I'm just so sorry you had to go through so much, Jacqueline, actually. Uh, You know, I talked to you as such an amazing woman, and I'm sorry that you had to um, endure what you've had to endure. And, um, you know, you've been such a lovely woman to me in this interview, and I've heard so many wonderful things about you generally over the years, and you've always been a complete, um, yeah, icon for me. And so... um, I'm sorry that you had to go through so much, but I'm so glad you are who you are. And thank you for your time. Holly, thank you so much. And if I could just say, when uh, I heard that I had to do that letter, um, I felt, you know, quite nervous doing it because, you know, I like to be authentic. And I thought, I can't do this without being honest. And I don't think I've ever spoken as candidly. Um, to anybody as I have you on this podcast. So, you know, I I just want people to know that, yes, it, it was a, ter- a terribly difficult time, but you can turn your life around and good things can come from it. And I am somebody who looks forward rather than back. So, um, you know, and we all have our wobbles about things that have gone in, on in the past, but... Um, you know, we, we can change that. Oh, maybe you should run the country, Jacqueline. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather not be doing it now, that's for sure. (laughs) Bless you, Jacqueline. You've been a star. And uh, I know every single listener is just whooping, whooping in their cars and on their dog walks listening to this. So bless you. Bless you for doing this. And thank thank you you so so much. much. Thank you, Holly. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode with Jacqueline, I'd love to suggest listening to my conversation with Marcia Kilgore. Marcia is the founder of Beauty Pie, and you can find her interview by searching Conversations of Inspiration wherever you get your podcasts. And if it's helped or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support really does mean the world to me. It helps spread the word and will inspire more people to build a life they love. And for all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.